We have some huge news that broke overnight that we'll be leading with on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Laura Johnston and Lisa Garvin. But before we get to that huge news, this will be our last podcast of the week in which we discuss the news of the day. We do have an abbreviated special episode that we'll publish on Wednesday discussing the very controversial idea by the Cleveland Clinic to charge for the time doctors spend messaging patients. It's a great discussion. Check it out Wednesday, and then we'll be back on Monday for a new discussion of the news. But let's get to it. Overnight, Metro Health Systems put out a statement saying they have terminated CEO Akram Boutros just less than two months after he was walking out the door voluntarily. He had resigned, and this was his big goodbye. They terminated him. Laura, why? Because they say he's taken $1.9 million in unauthorized bonuses, basically that he gave himself. They said they had no idea that it was going on. It started happening in 2018, and he was evaluating himself and deciding that he deserved extra money. And this is on top of his like $1.1, I think, million salary. And we got a statement from Akram a little bit ago. What does he say this is about? He says this is retaliation, that they weren't hiring, they weren't following all the proper practices in hiring their new CEO who started, um, I believe, in December. And <coughs> I'm sorry. And so this is pure out retaliation. Yeah. It, it, it Look, I, I should say I've known Akram uh, pretty well since 2014. He and I were in the same leadership Cleveland class. I've talked to him many times over the year, and I don't think it's a exaggeration to say he's been one of Cleveland's towering figures for the last decade. He's been involved in every social justice conversation that's gone on. He's transformed the campus. He has been beloved by the employees over there. Uh, I, I've said repeatedly, I don't think anybody has come to Cleveland and won over the town more quickly than he did, although Michael Baston is is giving him a run. Uh, so I, I, I want to say that, uh, that, that he's somebody I know very well. This is a shock. I mean, he was so close to walking out the door and up until now has been looked upon as somebody to lionize. But the system is saying for five years from 2018 to this year, he took out one point nine million that he didn't have coming. He says, I caught them breaking the rules and how they picked my successor. And because I reported that they've they fabricated this and we have bonuses going to everybody, but I'm the only one they took it back from. Yeah, it's an aggressive statement. He says that the an, a statement released by the board last night, and it was at 10 p.m. this dropped, is full of, quote, misinformation and outright lies. Dr. Boutros will be taking legal action. I mean, that is not a an admission of anything, obviously. He's saying outright lies. The Metro Health statement says that, uh, that they, they started this investigation that on October 31st, they demanded the money back and he paid it back with a couple hundred thousand in interest. On Saturday, they got the full investigation report, which we're asking for, hopefully in transparency, they'll give it to us. And they decided to terminate him last night. The, the, it also says that he told them in a public meeting, I think on November 1st, that he had self-reported this to the ethics commission. So evidently they will, they will investigate We should talk a little bit about the way people do compensation plans, because if you're reading between the lines, I think there might be an application here. 
that generally speaking, organizations like Metro Health or us, there's compensation plans in which people get raises and bonuses. If you read in between the lines of Akron's statement, he seems to be saying that there was a system by which everybody got these raises and bonuses, but I'm the only one they're targeting. The only weird thing about that is that as the CEO, he would oversee all those raises and bonuses, but he doesn't have a boss and the board is his boss. And so if he was getting this money and the board didn't know about it, which is what the statement for Metro Health says, that's a little bit shaky. Right. You would think that the board that oversees you would know how much you're getting paid. They set this, you know, they set his compensation and that's what they're saying. Right. And they've apparently on November 9th approved and enacted a new CEO spending and hiring limitations that are to be in place through December 31st of this year. But yeah, according to them, they had no idea. And you're obviously not allowed to just approve your own. But this raises a big question. I mean, how does somebody take an average of just under $400,000 a year out of the system without any auditors knowing? How did the board not know about it? That's a gigantic sum of money. So, I, I mean, we're asking that. We're asking, how was this money paid? Who signed off on this? Who audited these books? Because how does it go on for five years before they find out about it? I mean, that is a very, <laughs> I don't have an answer for that question. Uh, well, I, I mean, th- th- they're they're basically making it sound like there's serious wrongdoing here. And the way they portray it, you got to think that there's going to be at least some thought of a criminal investigation. He is throwing down hard saying this is this is an attack on me because I was trying to bring transparency to something they did. Um, hopefully we're going to be hearing from him later and hopefully Metro Health, which has to abide by the public records law of Ohio, will turn over these records we're seeking to find out how this could happen without anybody having spotted it. It's a big story. Unfortunately, the next time we discuss this won't be until a week from yesterday. I just wanted to add that there is a county council meeting at two today. And obviously, Metro Health is the county public hospital, right? It gets some money from the county. And apparently, Akron Bruptos was scheduled to come in today and ask for more money for Metro Health's budget, which is ironic, right? Right. They were going in to try and restore the money they used to get, but I, he won't be there he won't be there now. His his replacement does start January 1st. He did get to unveil and cut the ribbon at the enormous new campus that they've designed over there that's gotten all sorts of plaudits and the mental health hospital in Cleveland Heights. And I think that's what makes it so just, you know, we always have good things to say about Metro Health and all of the changes they've made and the way that they're changing health care. And so this is just so that's why it was such a jaw dropper. Well, and the timing well, is suspicious. I mean, who drops a news release at 10 o'clock at night? It just seems to me they wanted to get ahead of the story or, you know, so now Boutrous is playing catch up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I I agree, Lisa, because we didn't we weren't enabled, of course, when it drops at whatever, 10, 15, 10, 30 we're not going to reach him. I mean, it, 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 this should have been done a little better. On the other hand, maybe they thought that the board would leak and that this would get out and they wanted to be the ones on top of it. And the statement is not cryptic and they, they lay it out step by step. It's from Vanessa Whiting, who 
Akram brought in as board chair. Um, and I, I'm sure it troubled her greatly to have to put this out. I'm sure this is troubling him greatly. I mean, look, he had a almost 10 year run of being this beloved figure, and this is a horrible way for it to end. So more to come. It's today in Ohio. Cuyahoga County Prosecutor Mike O'Malley campaigned in the idea of expanding the role of a board that considers reopening old cases where the convictions seem questionable. But on Monday, all of the civilians on the board quit, and they had some damning things to say about how O'Malley has operated the board. Lisa, what are they? Yeah, these board members, all from the community, felt like they were just a useless appendage, basically. So the county prosecutor's conviction integrity unit has a, a unit inside with a assistant uh, prosecutors and one outside attorney. And then they refer questionable convictions to a community review board of which these five members were, but they are no longer. They resigned in a two-page letter yesterday to Mike O'Malley. They say that it's due to no or little activity in the last four years. The four who quit or the five who quit were Judge Ron Adrian. He's a retired municipal court judge. CSU professor Patricia Falk, civil rights attorney James Hardiman, the Reverend Tony Minor, and the Greater Cleveland Congregation's Donna Weinberger. They were part of that independent appendant review panel. And they said that, you know, they only got 10 cases since 2018. They've got none since right before the 2020 pandemic. They said, quote, our participation serves as mere window dressing with no substantive impact. And they took their concerns to O'Malley several times this year about this inactivity. He says he was committed, but he then proposed that only the consulting the panel after he's made a decision. And he discussed with them keeping information that they uncover in these investigations away from defense attorneys. So they couldn't reach an agreement, you know, O'Malley and the board. So that's when the, the review panel decided to quit. I, I think this speaks miles to why the prosecutor's office really shouldn't be the one making the decision on what to reopen. That, that line about keeping the information from defense attorneys is a big red flag waving. Why not? If, if there was a questionable conviction, why not be transparent with the attorneys? It, it, it's, it's almost like the prosecutors are trying to protect shaky convictions rather than reopen them to free people. And we're going to be talking about a case like that in a minute here. The, the, I, I don't understand this. I mean, Michael Malley's response is that there should be no civilians. This should just be done by prosecutors. The prosecutors are the ones that locked them up to begin with. And if it was bad convictions, why not have very solid people like Ron Adrian? looking over your background. And they, these panel members in their letter, they suggested, they had suggestions. They should, you know, they said they should be allowed to have more input. There should be more public transparency on the cases that they're reviewing. And they say that the staff that's on this unit should believe in the mission and not just protect their prior convictions, which is possibly what they're doing there. We've had so many people who were wrongly convicted so many that we've dealt with over the years. And it's horrible. I mean, years of their lives lost because of either bad police work or shady prosecutorial misconduct. This was supposed to be the way of fixing it. That's why he campaigned on it. I, I think this is just a terrible sign. It seems like their goal 
is to protect the conviction at all costs, no matter whether or not it's shaky. It's a bad sign and it's a bad look. If Michael Malley seeks another term in a couple of years, I can't imagine his opponents aren't going to be using this as evidence that he's not about criminal justice. Yeah. And for his part, O'Malley did thank the external review panel, but he says he will continue with all prosecutors on staff now. So there'll be no community input at all. Okay. It's today in Ohio. Like I said, the prosecutor's committee did not find this next case. In this story, the prosecutor's office tried to hide information from a defendant that ended up clearing him. And in this case, the defendant spent 20 years in, 28 years in prison for a crime he did not commit. How much will it cost the taxpayers to begin making good? And what's behind this one, Lisa? The state controlling board approved $767,000 in awards to Charles Jackson of Cleveland. Jackson spent 28 years in prison for a 1991 murder and attempted murder at the Othello Avenue apartment building in in Cleveland. Uh, Common Pleas Judge... Kathleen Satula ordered a retrial for Jackson back in November 2018, and then Jackson was released from prison. The wrongful conviction verdict came in July of 2022, and that's the first step in the compensation process. So the conviction was based on statements by the attempted murder victim, Ronald Lacey, and a woman who was dealing drugs at the Othello apartments. There was no other evidence in the case. Jackson's attorneys say that police and prosecutor reports that they investigated showed that Cleveland police detectives lied in court about the case evidence. Right. They lied in court about the case evidence. And this got the Innocence Project had to dig into this. They had a fight past stubbornness and, and concealment by the prosecutor's office and the police to get this guy cleared. And it gets back to what we just talked about that the prosecutor's office now is taking away any objective third parties from looking at the misdeeds they've committed. Yeah, this it's not a good look. Yeah, it's it's really quite sad. It's today in Ohio. What do we know about Johnny Tetrick, the veteran Cleveland firefighter who was killed by a hit-and-run driver while he was on duty at the scene of a bad accident on Interstate 90 on Cleveland's east side? Laura. This is such a sad story, and John Tucker did a really nice job talking to his friends at the firehouse about the kind of a firefighter that Tetrick was. And basically, he... He was a man of faith and of service, and he was there for 27 years. I mean, and most of it at this firehouse on the east side, which was not an easy place to be, Engine 22. And he had, it was this area that's known for its frequent blazes and in part because of abandoned building buildings. So he had this decades old helmet. He refused to retire that he painted red, white, and blue and had a verse from the gospel of John. He read, it reads greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And he kept his Bible at the station too. And he would write down thoughts he had during his 24 hour shifts. By all accounts, he was a mentor to a lot of people. His father was a firefighter, and they just really looked up to him. Yeah, what what really struck me was, John got into this, that that firefighters who are in the, the hottest spots of Cleveland, the ones where they're constantly going out on calls, as they get older, they'll often seek 
a transfer to a less busy station Mm -hmm. and he never did. He stayed. This is one of the busiest stations. I forget there was one, there was one number like 20 calls without sleeping. Yeah. He said it there, there are two dozen runs without sleep and that has pushed many of the colleagues out who, you know, people get older. It's a hard job. I mean, it's a lot of physical labor and he just, stayed on and he kept doing it and he kept mentoring the young guys and the young guys said they were glad he was there and showing Mm -hmm. him the ropes and 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 that you know when the when his daughters at the end of the story go to get the helmet and we quote what the helmet says it's like man how do you not get a tear in your eye this is a tragedy one of his colleagues said he was just solid if you worked with him you know you had no worries he knew he was going to get the job done and put the fire out he was the soul of the station and i mean that's just so important to have someone that you could always count on and it sounded like you know he did that in both the actual firefighting and then leading the station um just by being a, a wonderful person and we wanted this discussion today to be about the hero, the firefighter, not about the guy who ran into him. But they have arrested somebody, and it appears that um, inebriation was part of what happened. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, this was 8.15 p.m. on Saturday. It was just the snow was beginning to fall, and he was helping someone in a car that had flipped on the highway. And he was clearing the roadway of debris. And you know, he was out there doing his job. This is a line of duty death. All right. It's today in Ohio. As the World Cup is underway this week, we get news that a men's soccer team is coming to Cleveland. Not quite World Cup level, but it's a step toward credibility for Cleveland when it comes to soccer. Lisa, what's the story? Yeah, this uh, men's soccer team is coming to Cleveland in 2025, and it's part of Major League Soccer's next pro league that was established last year. So it's kind of like a baseball farm team system. So people could work their way from Major League Soccer youth academies through MLS Next Pro all the way to Major League Soccer itself. But uh, Next Pro is a mix of affiliated and independent teams. So in the announcement yesterday, they did didn't announce who the parent club will be, the team name or the colors that will be coming, I guess, later. There's a group called the Cleveland Soccer Group. They're an ownership group founded by Michael Murphy, who's the CEO, and Nolan Gallagher, and they're dedicated to bringing men's and women's pro teams to Cleveland. They're already looking at potential sites for a state-of-the-art stadium and training facility for this new team. And they're not sure, you know, like I said, if you know how a baseball farm team works, you have, you know, single A and triple A and double A teams that are affiliated with like the the Guardians or the Red Sox or whatever. So in Columbus, there's the Columbus Crew, which is a major league soccer team that is owned by the Haslams. So we probably won't get a top tier team, but Columbus Crew 2 is a team that's part is affiliated with the Columbus Crew. So that's how it works. I, I mean, is there a belief that this leads to an MLS soccer team or is Columbus just too close where we couldn't have that kind of competition? I think that's what they're saying. You know, soccer is still, you know, uh, way behind football is America's sport. So, uh, you know, yeah, they're saying that the possibility of us getting a major league team is probably slim because of the proximity of Columbus crew. But, you know, who knows what the future holds? Laura, are you not going to speak about your love of soccer? <laughs> okay. It is not my love of soccer. I think it is a great 
team sport for kids to be playing. I don't watch soccer on TV. I have been to a crew game twice, uh, and it they are super fun. But I do think that as more you know, more and more kids play soccer and they, they have something to watch on TV and professionally it is going to grow. I mean, it's the most popular sport in the world. I don't really get why we're not more into it here. I've been hearing this my whole life, the metric system in soccer, my whole life, it's coming, it's coming. And we, you know, my whole life and we're still where we are, but okay, we'll see. I mean, if there's a team in town, I do think there will be more interest in it, but, um, yeah. I guess it's probably a chicken and egg thing. Yeah, and I'm still using standard wrenches. It's today in Ohio. After Cleveland Mayor Justin Bibb failed the test of road clearing following his first snowstorm last winter, he promised more transparency and technological improvements, although he did not say at the time what those would be. Following our little bit of weekend snow in Cleveland, his office came through with the details. What will the new snow strategy entail, Laura? So there are going to be tablets in all of the trucks, mapping software, and location trackers for the snow plows. That's going to help the city reduce the number of streets that go unplowed and let you see in real time where the plows are, when your street is going to come up, and if it's been done yet. And I know this does sound familiar, right? So last year, the city promised a GPS system that would show where the snowplows are. Apparently, that was a different system that was programmed to lead breadcrumbs, basically, of where the trucks were. And then the city says it forced the system to provide information for which that system was not intended to be used, and not all the vehicles had it. So some of the drivers were still using their paper maps and reporting back to their supervisors in the office, hey, I've been here, and it was trying to be updated manually, um, or they were doing it through radio dispatch. So this new system is supposed to be all technological, and uh, each vehicle has in-cab tablets, and the foremans are going to know which routes have been completed just using the software that is inside those trucks. Yeah. I I mean, you can't really judge what they did over the weekend. The west side barely got anything, and on Cleveland's east side, the far east side, they got a few inches. It also was Saturday night into Sunday when there's no rush hour. The truest test of Cleveland's ability to clear snow is a significant snowstorm that falls during a workday, either before or during rush hour. And we'll have to see if they can do better. They keep saying they're going to do better, but we have yet to see a new test. We have plenty of time this winter when we will. Yes. It's today in Ohio. While we're on the subject of weather, lots of people are getting warnings this week about their tire pressure. Is there a gremlin running around bleeding air from our tires? Laura, you have to go visit a tire store today because you broke your tire stem. Yeah, isn't that crazy? I didn't even know that could happen. But yes, this gremlin is called the cold. So the lights went out in both my cars and I had a slow leak in one car. The other one I was trying to fill up with, you know, at get-go with the the pump and broke the valve off, ended up with a spare tire. So I was like, this this stinks, right? And I am not the only one going through with this. When I went to Conrad's yesterday, the, the technician told me, oh yeah, like they're very busy with tire issues right now. So consider this a public service. A drop of 10 degrees Fahrenheit can lead to a decrease in tire pressure of one pound per square inch. That's that PSI number that you need to know of what your tire can take. But even if the temperature climbs back up, which thankfully it is this week, the pressure is not necessarily going to come back because the seal in your tires could have been disrupted and the air lost for good. 
Yeah, it's it's a hassle when those those go off, especially if you're on the highway driving at 80 miles an hour. You worry a little bit about the tires being low. Right, uh, because it, you can wear your tires weird if they have low um, low pressure and gas mileage is not as good. Yeah, so there's lots of places people can get them pumped up, although you got to usually pay a little bit of money. It's a credit card now. And the but. pressure, apparently, that sim, that little light that comes on in your car, as long as your car is new enough, our van that you know we just got rid of this summer did not have any any warning lights, so it was all eyeball. But um, it drops below 25 percent of the rated pressure. That's when that light's going to go on. Yeah, my wife has a car where it tells you which tire. When oh, yeah, my light goes off, I have to figure out which tire it is. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is my new car, the one I, po- I snapped the valve on, that told me exactly which tire I needed to fill up. But you figure if one's low, the other ones are probably going to go really soon, right? I mean, if you got them all at the same time. So if that's a new car, is that under warranty? It better be. <laughs> so I'm going to the dealership. You're listening to Today in Ohio. For many years now, people who needed hearing aids had to get prescriptions and pay exorbitant prices. But the government recently changed the rules, and now anyone can buy them over the counter. That's really quite revolutionary. And health reporter Julie Washington took a look at what's next. Lisa, what did she find? Yeah, this federal rule change means that you can get hearing aids without a prescription. Anyone over 18 with a mild to moderate hearing loss. Uh, Bridget Whitford with the Cleveland Hearing and Speech Center says this will make hearing aids more accessible and reduce the stigma of hearing aids. It will help increase numbers of older folks who have hearing problems. She says that two-thirds of older people experience some form of hearing loss. It can affect their quality of life, their well-being. It can make them feel more isolated. 38 million Americans have self-reported hearing issues, but only 20% of them use hearing aids because they don't want to... seem like they're deaf. So over-the-counter prices, and Julie looked at a few places, they started at about $199 at Walmart, going up to $1,950 at Best Buy. But then other, you know, manufacturers are jumping into the ring now. Bose, which you know for stereo systems and speakers, and Sony, uh, they're offering hearing aids over the counter from about $1,000 to $1,200. But with a prescription, you know, they start at the center and the center, which Ms. Bridget Whitford works at there, you know, they help out people with hearing, you know, their advocacy for people with hearing loss. They started a thousand dollars at the center, but they can go up to four thousand to six thousand dollars a pair without insurance. So uh, she's saying that, you know, now that this is over the counter, you don't have any doctor guidance because the doctor does help you adjust your hearing aids. So you might need to help, you know, some help with that. She says, definitely pay attention attention to the return policy on your hearing aids because you might have to return them. Uh, you want to look at whether you want replaceable versus rechargeable batteries because those replaceable batteries are real tiny. And you need to find out if there's customer support for your hearing aids and hopefully a live person rather than an online chat. And she said some of these over-the-counter hearing aids will probably have an app that you can download that will help you with testing your hearing and adjusting your hearing aids. I've been wondering for years when the technology of AirBuds and Bose was going to merge with this, because up until now, it's felt like hearing aids are just a gigantic scam. I had a relative get them uh, before this change, and it was exceedingly expensive from a brand you've never heard of. 
whereas all of these technology companies have been doing better and better about audio devices. So it seemed like a natural evolution that Bose and Apple would want to do this and they can do it at a much lower cost. I mean, it, it, to get really high quality hearing is it was four and five thousand dollars which makes no sense because technology shouldn't be that much money i think this is one of the best steps Mm -hmm. ever and i speak as somebody who figures that eventually we'll probably need them and i'm (laughs) glad i'll be able to go do it myself i can't i i you got to think that bose is going to come up with self-help guides through apps to help you adjust them too. that it can't be rocket science on how you get it right. It's a series of frequencies that you measure how you hear and then adjust for it, but a very good development for people and their health. It's today in Ohio. Okay. This is our last podcast before Thanksgiving, except for our special episode. Let's close with a fun story. Where can we find the most entertaining, uplifting crossing guard you'll ever see? Lisa, it's yours to wrap up. Yeah, his name is uh, Eric Hudson. He's a Cleveland Clinic Police Department corporal, and he's been having a lot of fun on crosswalk duty on East 89th Street near the entrance to the Cleveland Clinic main building. He brought a Bluetooth speaker one day to work, and then he just started dancing and jiving, and he now calls it the party at East 89th Street. He said he wanted to give an energy boost to employees coming to work, also patients and visitors coming into the clinic. Apparently, one patient was so amused that they drove around the block several times to catch Hudson in action. So yeah, if you're driving down, you know, I guess it's off of Euclid would be my guess. So East 89th Street, you can see, you know, you can see him in action. But I want to mention there's another one that we wrote about back in 2018, Bluestone Elementary on East 260th Street in Euclid. I've seen this guy in action, a former school teacher, Frank Masuga. He uses dozens of puppets while he's on crosswalk duty. So I don't know if he's still doing it, but back in 2018, he was up for like America's greatest crossing guard. Well, we ought to give a big thank you to Layla Tassi's husband, who alerted us to this, sent in a video. And if you want to see it, John Panna has a delightful video on cleveland.com. It will bring a smile to your face. And as we head into Thanksgiving, you should have a smile on your face. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks to everybody who listens. We'll be back Monday with a full discussion of news. News.